This is kind of why I love those uh, Sundays where we can actually just, we can actually focus on um, casting some vision and, and giving you guys a chance to see like all that goes on um, throughout the, the weeks and months here at TBC. So appreciate those ladies uh, giving those opportunity, opportunities to you guys. Um, turn your Bibles today to John chapter 10. We are in the middle of a series in John. And today I want to talk to you about freedom. In our country, of course, we have um, people who um, really, you know, tout America as um, kind of the be-all, end-all, which it is a great place to live. We're all about freedom in our country. And so today we're talking about what true freedom looks like. And I'm going to use this passage to do that this morning. Um, Because I I think most people, including Christians, listen, I think most people have a wrong view of freedom. We think we know what true freedom really is, but really we have no idea what true freedom really looks like. So a lot of, a lot of even Christians, um, especially at your age, when you're living under your parents' authority, um, your parents have some rules, they have some things that they make you do, things you're not allowed to do, and um, as a teenager, your thought is, I want to be like out from under their authority, out from under their thumb, I want to have freedom, I want my, I want my life to, to be run by me, and so... Most of us, I think, have a wrong view of what freedom really is and what it actually, um, especially in a spiritual sense. Most people think that the Christian life is restricting and confining and enslaving. In fact, I would say to you, if you're a believer this morning and you went to one of your friends and you said, hey, um, let me tell you about Jesus, that one of their first reactions would probably be, I, I don't want to become a Christian because then I've got to like, change how I live. Like, then I actually have to give up some stuff. And that's not the kind of life that I want to live. That might be their reaction. And I would say about that person, they are totally missing what true freedom really is. They're missing it. And so we're going to look at um, John chapter 10, verses 1 to 14 today. And uh, the setting is the same as last week. So last week we discussed, we talked about a blind man who was healed. And, but in healing the blind man, Jesus was pointing out the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. And so he used the blind man and, and that guy's um, disability and his healing of that disability. He used that whole scenario to point out the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees last week. We discussed this last week. Now, so but because the Pharisees are spiritually blind, they're supposed to be the religious leaders of the nation of Israel, but what Christ will show us today is that because of their spiritual blindness, they, instead of being shepherds to the nation of Israel, they're really like thieves and robbers to the nation of Israel. And so we'll look at uh, verses 1 through 6, and what's going to happen today is we're going to, um, I'm going to have you, I'm going to read the passage, then I've got some, like, four questions for you guys to discuss at your tables, and these are like questions. You have to actually look at the text when you're answering these questions, so make sure you have a Bible or an app open. You can actually see the words that you're looking at. Look at verses uh, 1 through 6 in John chapter 10. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So go ahead and answer questions one through four at your tables. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, it's always hard to know, like, where you guys are at in the discussion. Um, I know some have moved on, but others probably have not. So I'm always going to make at least half the room angry, most likely. So, um, so let's discuss this part of the passage. We'll have some more discussion in just a few moments. So um, it's a little bit of a confusing passage at first, and it even says the people that Jesus is talking to are confused as well. So if you're confused by reading it, then you're in good company, because the people that Christ was talking to were uh, feeling the same way. So um, how many of you have been on a sheep farm before? Anyone? You have been on a sheep farm. Um, all, of your, all of your Aggies out there know about sheep. So sheep was big business in that culture, and it was not like they, would, they wouldn't slaughter the sheep to, uh, for meat. They actually used them just for wool, and so they would, they would shear them, sell the wool, and then just keep shearing them over and over and over again so they had you know, money from the wool. So it was big business at, in that time. And what would happen was um, they would have their, their homes, and they would also have like a, a pen next to the house that was a, possibly a stone pen with like briars on top to keep uh, bad people out. And so what they would do is they would take these sheep out to pasture during the daytime, but then take them back into a shelter at night. And usually a guard was appointed at nighttime to guard the doorway of the sheep pen. So they couldn't get out, but also no one else could get in. And so in this picture, the sheep pen represents Israel, and the thief and the robbers represent the Pharisees. Christ is making an allusion to the Pharisees and saying that they're like uh, the thieves and robbers that try to get in and destroy the sheep or harm the sheep. He's making that reference to the Pharisees and the religious elite of Israel. And so... Um, what this passage shows us is that the shepherd had a very personal connection to the sheep. In fact, the shepherd would not look at the herd and just see a herd. They would actually look at that crowd of sheep and see names. They would name the sheep and know them by name, know what they look like, know the little nuances of each one, even in their personality. And so what's Christ trying to paint for us? I think he's trying to paint a picture that he's, he's like that shepherd. He is... He is a God who knows us. He knows your personality. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the nuances of who you are. He knows your story. He knows just where you've come from. This is a picture that Christ is trying to paint of, of who he is as this shepherd. And so Jesus does not look at us and just see a crowd. It's very easy to come in here and just see a bunch of people and think that you're just one of many. You're not that important. You're just one in a crowd. Jesus looks at you and he sees your story. He sees your personality. He sees everything about you. He sees names. He sees names. He sees your problems. He sees everything about you. Something else that we learn from this is that um, you guys have heard the, 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 um, the example that sheep are, are about some of the dumbest animals out there, right? Have you witnessed this firsthand? You've seen this? So, um, my parents live on some farmland in Virginia, and it's not their farm, but they, there's farms all around them, 
and there's this, uh, this pen of sheep that someone has close by, and um, I don't know them personally, but they're new neighbors of my parents, and so I was showing my son one time, um, I said, hey, let's go see the sheep, and so we, we go down to the sheep pen, and we go to the fence, and they're grazing by the fence, and we're not going to, we're just like, here, sheep, 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 and uh, these sheep freak out, and they run away all together about 10 yards away, and they turn, this is a true story, they turn their backside to us like this all in a row, like they're mooning us, okay? And then their tails pop up, and they start just going to the bathroom, like all at the same time. It was like Skittles coming out of a candy machine, okay? And, and I'm sitting there going, that's what you're going to do? We've come to pet you, and you're going to treat us like that? Okay, I see how this is. And so sheep can be strange. They can be kind of dumb, right? They're not the smartest of animals. And, uh, and in, a, in a way, I mean, we as, as, as people can be maybe not that extreme. We can be fairly dumb as well, at least spiritually speaking. And so um, sheep can be dumb animals. In, in fact, I, I read this past week that some sheep have actually walked into open flame, like open fires. They just like walk into a fire, right? And, and just, that's, that's hot. I'm going to move away from that now. My wool's on fire. Stop, drop, and roll, right? And so sheep can be very dumb, stupid animals. And we look at that and think, okay, how can you walk into a flame? Everyone knows that's going to burn you. We know the end result here is it's going to be hurt or possible death, right? But when you think about this, though, how often do we do the exact same thing spiritually, like, we're told by pastors and shepherds, like, hey, don't go near that fire, figuratively speaking. And what do we do? We walk straight into it anyway, don't we? And we burn ourselves. And we hurt ourselves, possibly even kill ourselves. And so in many ways, we do very, very similar things. And so um, this passage also points out that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. They know his voice they listen to his voice. And I'll tell you this. I know, I know so many people that claim to be Christians, but don't ever listen to God's word and obey his word. They don't know his voice. His voice doesn't have authority in their lives. And I would say that if you belong to the shepherd, then you're someone that listens to the shepherd. If you belong to the shepherd, then you're someone that knows his voice, you're convicted by his voice, you want to follow him, and you want to obey his voice. I've got this little dog named Zoe. She's a border collie, and she um, is an okay dog. She's not a great dog. She's an okay dog because she's not real friendly to people sometimes. But Zoe is really friendly to my wife and myself. Like what she'll do, if, if I say to her, I'll say, Zoe, do you want to go outside? And she'll perk up, she'll wag her tail, Ears perked up, she's ready to go. She knows that it's time to go outside. She gets excited. She'll jump up and kind of do that little dog thing that dogs do. And, um, and, and she'll, she'll uh, get excited whenever she hears me say that. And so my son was trying to mimic me recently, and he tried it out for himself. He was like, Zoe, Zoe, you want to go outside? And she's looking at him like, loser. And she's no reaction. She's laying on the floor, whatever. And then I say it, and she's like, ha, 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 ready to go. She's ready to go outside. Why is that? 
because she knows that my son's voice carries no authority. She knows, like, he's the new guy. Like, he's the new kid in the house, right? And so um, she knows that my voice carries authority, and so when I say it, it means something. What voices in your life have authority? What voices do you give authority to? When, when, that, when that person or that, when you hear that message from that person or that group, like what, what resonates with you? Like what, what voices do you listen to? What voices have authority in your life? Who are you listening to? Who are you giving allegiance to? Who are you letting speak into your life and you react um, in those ways? And so... Um, I want to go ahead and read verses uh, 7 to 10, and you guys are going to discuss some more questions here in a minute. Look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Go and do questions uh, five to seven. Go and discuss. All right, I want to make sure we have enough time for our breakouts in a few moments. So we're going to look at um, the next passage here. Look, at, look down at verse, actually before we do verse 11, let me explain verses uh, 7 to 10 very quickly. You guys may not know this, but uh, in verses 9 and 10, those two verses are the key verses that we really founded this whole high school and junior high ministry name upon. We, it's, we call it overflow, right? And we got it from John chapter 10, verse 10. But in verse 9, we see that salvation is found only in Jesus. And I love what it says. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, it's hard to get past the agricultural reference there, but I want you to see this. Listen, it's not just salvation that happens to someone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus. What happens after that? He says, and will go in and out and find pasture. That means that Every single one of us are looking for ways to sustain our lives, for provision. We are looking for something to sustain us. And Jesus is saying that you're only going to find that in me. You're only going to find that in me, in life with me, will you find the things that you need in this life. Every single person on the face of the earth is looking for a full life, a complete life. And so we chase after things, trying to fulfill ourselves, trying to complete ourselves. And Jesus is saying that only in me are you going to find what you are really looking for. Only in me. The thief comes to take life, but Christ gives life. And he gives life that's not restricted or enslaving, but he gives life that's overflowing. The, the word here in Greek is a super abundance, like one that you can't even contain. And, and so a life, a life with Christ is not a half-life or a constricted life or an enslaved life. It's a life that's overflowing. Now, I'm not going to, I've actually been accused before of using this verse and someone said, wait, are you, are you like those 
TV preachers that preach prosperity gospel, that's not what I'm talking about. When I say abundance, I'm not talking about like, he's going to shower money upon your house, you know. That's not what I'm saying when I say abundance. But spiritually speaking, he will give you more than you can contain. Even when you're suffering, he will give you more of himself than you can possibly contain. It's overflowing. It's overflowing. And so look at verse 11 with me. Because I think, let's be really honest, I think many of us deep down, we see following Jesus as a boring life. We do. Like even Christians see it as that sometimes. We see following Christians as a half-life, not a whole life. So look down at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and, carries, and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. I want you to see um, this idea from verse 11. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ, that God is a good shepherd? That he's good? That he wants what is best for you? If you look at my next quote on the screen, I want you to write this down. Every sin begins with us believing that God is not very good. Most of us just think of sin as just happening. Like we just do it. It's just our nature. We just, we act out of that nature. But if you really get down to it, every sin that you and I commit really comes from a belief or a lack of belief that God's good, right? We, we don't believe he's really good, so we take a relationship into our hands that we know is sinful, that we know is wrong, and, and, and we decide to take our life into our own hands because we really think that God's holding out on us, God's not good, God doesn't know what he's doing. Every single sin that you and I commit is a result or because of a belief or a lack of belief that God is not very good. I think most of us see God as a joy thief rather than a joy giver. This passage says, no, there are some thieves, but Jesus is not one of them. And so I think one of our biggest obstacles in submitting to him is that we don't think he's very good. And so we take matters into our own hands and we decide to live our life the way that we want to live it. And we think that, you know, God wants me to be happy that's the greatest good, is that God wants me to be happy. Forget about joy, but happiness reigns over my life. I will do whatever it takes to be happy. And so we organize our life with that principle in mind. And so we say things like, Jesus, I want you to help me. I want you to save me, but, but stay out of my relationships. Stay out of my love life. Stay out of my friendships. Stay out of my my career, my job. And so we compartmentalize our faith in that way. And if Jesus Christ, if we really truly believe that he is the good shepherd that he says he is, and we're his sheep, then we don't get to do that. We follow him unconditionally. We follow him no matter how difficult it is. And so our real problem is that we don't understand what true freedom really is. And so I've got some, uh, some little friends up here under this blanket. I hope they're still alive. 
Can they suffocate? Can fish suffocate with a blanket over them? I don't think so. Okay, good. They're still, they're still alive back there. That's good. So they look kind of nervous. Um, I gave them clean water this morning, and they've pooped everywhere. So, um, By the way, does anyone have an aquarium at home? Anyone? No one? Anybody have an aquarium? Raise your hand. Okay, Hannah, I'm going to give these to you when, I, when you leave today because they can't stay at my house. They, they, they can't stay at my house. I have to get rid of them. Okay, if you don't take them, they're going to go down the toilet. How about that? No pressure. Either that or I will eat them or something. I don't know. Okay, so, um, so I got these fish up here. And, um, and just, this is a very simple demonstration, but I want you to understand what my point is here. So um, how many of you, let's say I was at a pet store and I saw these little fish in a, an aquarium and I got a net and I said to the pet store um, employee, hey, um, these fish look like they're in jail. Like they're confined in that little aquarium, a little jar. It's just a jar. I mean, there's five of those little guys in there. That's not right. That's like overcrowding. So I'm going to take one. I'm going to set it free. I'm going to take one right here. I'm going to set it free by dumping it out on this table right here. Right? You're like, all the girls are freaking out, like, put him back in there. He's going to die. He's going to drown on air. Poor thing. I wonder how fish, like, play pranks on each other. They, like, hold the guy out of the water to, like, is that like dunking him underwater, like pushing him up out of the water and, like, here, take that, you know? How do they do that? Um, so you would never come across, like, some fish like that and, and say, you know, I'm going to set this fish free. I'm going to take him out of the fish and throw him on the table. Like, you'd never do that. Like, that would be ludicrous, right? You would never do that. And so... But here's what I want you to see from this, though. That, that just makes, that makes sense. That's just common sense when it comes to fish. Because we know fish were created to live, of course, in the water, right? But yet, how many of us, as Christians, we think of freedom as removing ourselves from living in such a way that Christ intended us to live and be set free from that kind of life and free to explore, free to sin, free to... Um, experience all that life has to offer apart from Christ, and we think that's real life. We think that's true freedom. And meanwhile, Christ is saying, no, you're created to live in me. You're created to live under the provision that I want to give you. And yet so many of us remove ourselves from that, and as a result, we, we die spiritually. It brings about spiritual death. And so write this last uh, quote down, because I think many of us as Christians are guilty of this. Many of us are. What looks like freedom is really slavery, and what looks like slavery is really freedom. That even though Christianity might look to you on the outside like it is enslaving and horrible and a half-life, Jesus comes to give you an abundant life, an overflowing life, 
That's where freedom is found. That's where life is found. But many of us see it the exact opposite, don't we? What looks like freedom is really slavery, and what looks like slavery is really freedom. I want to have some discussion in your breakouts as well. So what I'll do, I'll put the discussion sheets for um, my leaders over here on the, uh, this table over here. And if you don't know where to go, just follow this hallway around. You'll see, like, your name, your grade, gender on the, the doors there. You go into the correct room, and uh, you guys can find your way. So here's the discussion sheets for the leaders for the breakouts. Make sure you guys finish up by 1215.